I'm going to read starting in verse 15 and read through verse 21, Ephesians chapter 5. I realize we're jumping in the middle of a context and we'll look at the context momentarily, but verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, thankfulness and gratitude, those are... those are. Uh, two attitudes, two, uh, two ways of communicating that I would say seem to be in short supply these days in our wider culture, in the church, um, in, in my life. And I think if you're honest, probably in most of our lives, we would find this to be the case. There are, this, there are, there are, I've seen more, um, little memes and signs and quotes about thankfulness year this thankfulness this year than I think ever before you can walk through hobby lobby I dare you and count how many signs say thankful thankful grateful blessed or something some form of of this and I feel like it's almost a way that we're trying to um, counteract the ingratitude and the grumbling that we see all around us and that we find welling up inside of us. Uh, over the past year or two in particular, as Paul mentioned, grumbling and complaining, they, they, they seem more pervasive or at least more blatantly obvious uh, in, in our attitudes and in our words. Obviously, with COVID, I mean, the, the, from the sickness and death that's come from this pandemic to all the masks and the mandates and, and the supply chain disruptions and food and, you know, rising prices on all kinds of things. There's all kinds of fodder for frustration and complaint. And we can probably all say we've contributed to that. There, there's social upheaval we see around us and political turmoil and concerning things that are there. And all, those, all that's kind of combined like gas and oxygen that's coming at this open flame of our ungrateful hearts. And, and it's, it's come out. And so all the changes and transitions we've gone through sure haven't helped us here individually. Uh, many of you have, have had significant transitions in your life, either because of or just during the last couple of years. That as a church, there have been all these adjustments we've had to walk through and changes that have come uh, uh, and nationally, certainly. And so all that's combined to make sustained, enduring thankfulness an even greater challenge for us. I mean, just even as you anticipate the holidays upcoming, you, you, there's this realization that this is probably not going to be the same, not the way we would like it to be. And so even that has become a challenge for us, not to mention a host of other personal challenges that all of us are, have, have walked through in, in the midst of these larger scale, uh, wider difficulties. So I would say all of that, I'm not saying that, that the, the circumstances certainly have not created the ingratitude, but I think it's exposed something that's inside of us. And even for that, we can be grateful. Um, so we could we could all find the local, you know, Grumblers Anonymous chapter and and could show up at those meetings and we would probably fit right in if we did. I, I, and so how can we then cultivate 
gratitude that endures? That's the question before us today. How, how can we starve grumbling and complaining even when the fuel for the grumbling and complaining is everywhere around us? How can we grow in thankfulness? And again, and what I really want to focus on this morning, how do we grow in thankfulness? Not just individually as Christians, but together as a church. How can we be a corporately thankful people together as a body? And so if it's gratitude we want to cultivate, I think we should start just kind of with a definition of gratitude. Let me offer this one. This is sort of a combination of a few that I've uh, picked up and, and read over the past week or so. So I'll just say it this way. Gratitude is an inner attitude of thankfulness which manifests in verbal expression. That's very simple, but it's, it, you'll, you'll notice there's two things, two aspects of that definition that, that, are, that are working in sync. So first, it's something, it's something internal. If we just express gratitude with our mouths, like we've been doing this morning, we've been singing songs of thanks, we've been, even in the response of reading, we've been expressing thankfulness. If that's all that's there, it's just this expression with our mouths, but it's not here, it's not in our hearts, then we're essentially just sort of being polite to God. And, and so there's a, and there's a fundamental distinction between polite and being a grateful person. Being polite is saying thank you. We teach our children to be polite, have good manners. If you get that, you know, those socks from your great grandmother for Christmas, just say thank you. It's not what you wanted, but be, you know, say thank you, be polite. And which that's a great that we should instill that in our kids, but we want to instill more than politeness. We want to instill gratitude and gratitude is deeper than politeness. Being a person of gratitude means there's something in our hearts, uh, a reality there that then is expressed through the words when we say thank you. And so on the flip side, to claim to have some inner attitude of gratitude and thankfulness, but to never express it, well, that actually belies the fact that there maybe that there isn't really an attitude of thanksgiving inside of us. And so because if we had that, we would express it, we'd communicate it verbally. And so those two go together. So we need both. We need this inner attitude of thankfulness, which manifests in verbal expression. That's what we're talking about with gratitude. So the flip side we could say is also true. So ingratitude would then be this inner attitude of thanklessness that, that manifests itself in complaining, murmuring, and grumbling. All right, so while we're talking definitions, let me just share one little uh, other nugget uh, of on gratitude from the always quotable G.K. Chesterton. And he said this, and I think this is on the screen. But he said, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. That's great. Now, he always has always had a way with words, but what catches my attention in that definition is that last phrase, happiness doubled by by wonder. I, I hope that by the time we're done this morning that, that you'll, you'll have a greater sense of all that that means. But even more than that, I, I, I pray that we will increasingly know as believers in Christ and together as a church family, this kind of happiness doubled by wonder gratitude. That this would more and more characterize us. And so, Again, the reason we're talking about this is uh, obviously as we're anticipating this Thanksgiving holiday, this national holiday, and, and, and so we're, we're thinking of this, but this is something that's to be enduring. But I, I would say for most of us who are going to gather around tables in some form or fashion, probably to celebrate Thanksgiving on Thursday, most of us will have trouble being thankful for a day, 
uh, and, and to have enduring gratitude for a day. So a 24-hour period or even the six hours when the family is gathered together, that's a challenge. But, but the kind of gratitude we're talking about, again, it's not just an occasional event. It's not just something we, we, we do even when we get, get together on Sunday mornings. It is to be a lifelong pursuit that we have together. It's, it's to be thankful people. For those of us who are in Christ, our lives are to be marked by thankfulness to God. We're in this lifelong battle together to cultivate gratitude in our hearts before the Lord and towards God for one another. Be thankful for one another. This is what we see all over the place in the New Testament, as Paul's letters in particular, uh, expressing thankfulness for other for other believers in all kinds of specific ways. So we're primarily going to focus on one verse this morning from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5, verse 20. And so it's in this part of his letter where he's, he's showing us the implications of the gospel in our lives. So if you study particularly Ephesians 1 to 3, it's, it's all about the gospel, this good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, all that's been provided for us. And then in starting of chapter 4, he's saying, so then, this is what this looks like in your life. And so we're in that section where he's showing the implications of the good news of Christ in our lives, in the church, and in our, in our lives together. And so how should we think? How should we live? How should we talk together in light of all that Christ has done for us? Well, one of those implications here is clearly gratitude. So verse 20 is where we're going to focus. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going to kind of camp out this morning. So how can we cultivate gratitude in our hearts? That's the question. More, specific, more specifically, how can we cultivate gratitude in our church? How can we do this together? Even, or I could say, especially in a time like this, where we're living today. First, first way, we, first thing that happens here, and, in the, and this is from the context of Ephesians. One, a grateful church, it doesn't save a seat at the table for grumbling. Grateful church doesn't save a seat at the table for grumbling. And so this first point is, is more implicit. It's not from verse 20 necessarily, but it's from the wider context of Ephesians chapter 5. And so you back up into the first part of the chapter. Just look up the page if, if, or turn back a page if you need to to see the first part of chapter 5. And so you, you get down to like verses 3 and following there. And there are these sins that are, that are out of place. They're not to be named among God's people. They're, they're out of place in the church, and so we need to keep, we need to work to keep them out. That's kind of the argument Paul's making. And so he'll go on and say in verse 4 that filthy, foolish, crude, talking, it shouldn't be named among us. And then he says, instead, let there be thanksgiving. And so Paul goes on to tell, tell us that we're to take no part in the, what he calls the unfruitful deeds of darkness, the unfruitful works of darkness. And when we, when we hear works of darkness, we probably tend to think of those really, those really bad sins, those, those really dark, uh, you know, the gross, uh, uh, blatant, in-your-face kinds of immorality, murder, that kind of stuff, stealing. That's what we think of those, those unfruitful deeds of darkness. But we learn from Paul in other places. You go back to Romans chapter 1. You look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And Paul, Paul gives us these lists of these truly awful sins that are, that characterize those who are unregenerate, those who, who don't have God, who don't know His grace. And right in the middle of those lists, as it were, we have 
this word, this, this description, they're ungrateful. Right smack in the middle of it. And so when we're talking about we're to, we're to avoid and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, ingratitude is right there in the middle of it. And so in, in Jerry Bridges' book, I know many of you have read uh, this. Uh, some of the small groups have worked through a book called Respectable Sins. And so in, in, in Respectable Sins, he's, he lists unthankfulness. That's one of the chapters as one of those common sins that we tend to kind of leave room for and in, in, in our lives and in the church, we, we kind of let it slide. It's, and, and we sort of tolerate it and work around it. Um, unthankfulness. But it, but, but it should never be accommodated in our lives, in the church, in our, in our life together as, as, as God's family. So again, in gratitude, it's not just something that manifests itself in individuals, in us individually, but it manifests us itself in us corporately, together as the church. And so the classic iconic example of corporate grumbling and unthankfulness, what, what do you think that might be as we look at Scripture? Who would be kind of the, who do you think of when you think of grumbling? Israelites, in particular Israelites when they were in the wilderness, right? But, but th- th- this is, this is, well, I think most of us think there. And so we, we see this illustrated so plainly. Uh, again, during their wilderness, wilderness wanderings in particular, they grumbled and they complained, and the Lord rebuked them for this, and this is, and He disciplined them for this. They grumbled against Moses, and they grumbled against the Lord. They grumbled because they didn't have enough water. They grumbled because the food was too bland. They grumbled because they just didn't like it in the wilderness. They grumbled because they thought Moses was a bad leader. They grumbled because they missed Egypt. They grumbled because it was taking too long to get to the promised land. They grumbled because they ultimately thought God had let them down. There's all kinds of grumbling, all kinds of complaining. But So, so you see um, this kind of corporate ingratitude and unthankfulness and complaining in Israel. But that's not just an Old Testament problem. That's not just an Israel problem for sure that... I mean, Jesus dealt with this in his own teaching, and certainly Paul, over and over again, he's, he's, he's talking to churches, writing to churches about the, the problem of grumbling and the need for thankfulness. And so that's the first thing. If, if we're going to see gratitude cultivated in our church body, in our lives as individual believers, and certainly in our lives together as a church family, we can't ever let grumbling or complaining or ingratitude be respectable among us. We can't, we can't give it a place in the garden of our lives or of our church to just kind of grow and sort of try to keep it contained and, and while we, we um, you know, tend the rest of the garden, let this little noxious weed of grumbling just sort of just try to keep it hedged in somehow and protect the other plants. It's just not how it works. We, we can't save any seat for grumbling in the church if we're going to be grateful. All right, secondly, a grateful church runs on the fuel of the Spirit's control. I'm kind of changing metaphors here, but a grateful church runs on the fuel of the Spirit's control. Again, this is sort of taking from context. So in Ephesians 5, Paul's talking about things that we have to avoid, and there's these things that we must pursue. And so you get down to verse 18. We saw some of that in looking at the early part of the chapter. We get down to verse 18. So Paul commands the church, this is, he commands the church in light of the gospel not to get drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, all believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're indwelt with the Spirit. We have the Spirit residing in us. But then we have this command to be continually filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled under the control of the Holy Spirit, under the influence of God's Spirit in our lives. Now, just a little grammar real quick, and you can, again, in your English translation, you can pick this up. So, uh, you don't have to know Greek language or anything to, to see this. And so you see what's contained, all that's, all that's stated in this, in this simple command to be filled with the Spirit. One, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not um, just a, a, a thought, a consideration. It's, it's, a, it's an imperative. This is something we're to do. Secondly, it's present tense. This is less obvious in English, but... It's present tense in the Greek, which means it's not a one-time event like this moment when we're filled with the Spirit. It is to be this continual, habitual, lifelong filling. This is something that's to characterize our lives. And then third, it's passive. We're to be filled. We are. We are. We are. Um, we don't fill ourselves. We receive the Spirit's fullness, and and so we're filled with Him. So it's a passive. Present tense command. And then last thing I would say, it's plural. It's for everyone. It's, it's not just a person. It's not just for the super spiritual people. It, it, for select group. It is, it is for all of us to be filled with the Spirit. And it's for us, again, not just individually, but for us together. It happens in community. You, y'all, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you could translate this more literally, something like this. Y'all, or all of you, keep on being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the, that's the essence of what he's saying here. And so then he goes on to show several results of, of, of lives of a church that's controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the first one he mentions is singing, verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts. And then closely related to that is this next result, Gratitude to God. Giving thanks, verse 20, always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want you to see, and this is, this is the point. Uh, a life of thanksgiving, a grateful church, it's, it's not something that we can just sort of gin up from within ourselves. It's not something we can work. It's not developed in you by just soul searching or uh, looking inside of yourselves or by blocking out the world or um, you know making resolutions and that kind of thing it's not found also in in changing our circumstances so think of the context of corporate gratitude it's not you know if we could just if we were just in a different location if we just had if I could just have different relationships if there were just better teachers if there were just uh, you know better members if there were just you know, we were in better financial situations. If we just had this, if we just had that, if we had better programs, if we had different things, then I could be grateful. It's not that. It's not about changing circumstances. It's the result of the Spirit increasing His control of our hearts and lives. It's, it's, that's, that's where it comes from. A grateful church, it burns the fuel of the Spirit's control. If I, again, change metaphors, analogies again, it grows, gratitude grows in the soil of the Spirit's influence in our lives. And the more we're regularly, consistently 
together, filled with God's Spirit, the more we're going to see gratitude to God grow and thrive in our midst. Conversely, I think we could say this also. This means that to the what to whatever extent we have grumbling and complaining and and negative, sour, ungrateful hearts and attitudes, we are that that points to the fact that we're not living under the influence of the Spirit together. And so that's those correlate. All right, third. And now we get to verse twenty. A grateful church has an open floor plan. I'm really glad Paul and I didn't coordinate on his his uh, illustration, but this is right where we're going now. And so we get to verse 20 now. But we we if you've um, watched HGTV, um, you understand that open floor plans are all the rage right now. And so we have a new builder in our church. It's building homes, and I'm sure this is probably what. Everybody still wants. I think it's still the trend. I don't keep up with all of the trends, but I think this is the case. We want our living, our cooking, our working, our eating spaces all shared, all flowing together, walls down, no small rooms. We want it all open and not closed off. And that's very different from how probably the homes that most of us live in that when they were built around this area in the early 80s and everything, again, had small rooms, lots of walls, uh, that was the trend back then. So you, every every room had a very specific purpose. And so in our house, we have the uh, the formal living room, uh, which is my office now, and and then the den and and the dining room and the kitchen and everything was separate and and closed off. And so even even uh, you know a lot of homes here have basements. We don't have one of those, but which become these kind of junk rooms where you can put stuff out of the way. We have a bonus room, you know, where they finished out the attic space, and that has become all kinds of things over the years. We shove stuff in, and that closet is like our storage unit and that kind of stuff. So with that, that that's kind of how, but that those, those trends have changed. But uh, people, are, again, are knocking walls down. They're opening their homes up and, and, and all of that. So we love open floor plans when it comes to homes, not so much in our lives. <laughs> And not so much in our churches. I'm not talking about physically. Uh, we, we want to keep, this is what I mean, we want to keep the clutter uh, of one room in our life out of the other rooms. We, we want dedicated spaces for different attitudes that we have. And, and so Paul was alluding to this as we think about gratitude. And in this part of my life, I can be very thankful but I'm going to let complaining and murmuring and ingratitude occupy this other part of my life. And all this stuff that I just don't want to bring out in public and, and in this area of thankfulness, I'm going to shove it over here and isolate it and separate it and just kind of keep it over there. Um, and so at church, maybe I'm grateful and for these certain aspects at least. And then when I get to work, it's complaining and or in certain relationships, there's there's gratitude that's manifested, but in other relationships, it's complaining. Uh, or think again, even in our in our church body, in 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 certain aspects of church life, we're going to be grateful, we're going to be free from grumbling, but in other areas, we will we will allow it. No, we we will actually increase it, and we'll give ourselves freedom to to vent and complain and grumble. Well, Paul doesn't say we're to give thanks to God. Sometimes, and for certain things, in some rooms of the house, in some rooms of the church, in some circumstances of life, 
No, he says, always and for everything. Always and for Now, I wish I could soften these words and say, in the Greek, they really don't mean always and, and all things. That means something else, but that's not the case. And so you can see with those kind of stark uh, statements, always, everything, that, that you can see why this kind of grateful church, it's only possible through the work and the filling of the Holy Spirit in us. We cannot, we cannot uh, conjure this up from within ourselves. We can't, we can't do this. So, so always and everything, open, open floor plan. Uh, Paul practiced here what he preached, though. And so we, we can consider him as an example. When, when he was unjustly uh, imprisoned and beaten and put in stocks in Acts 16.25, we find him you know, in jail singing praises to God, singing hymns and songs of praise to God. When he was imprisoned in Rome uh, and other local believers, other local Christians are slandering him, he writes this letter to the Philippian church and he expresses thankfulness and joy and he exhorts them to be thankful and joyful people. It was from the same prison that he wrote Ephesians, this text that we're looking at, that we're always giving thanks for all things. Now you think again, think about Paul. Surely he deserved better than that. I mean, surely surely he could have expected more, especially from Christians. He's God's chief apostle to the Gentiles. He's laid down his life to see the gospel go to these people, to the least reached he had big plans. He had these not just big plans, but great plans to see the gospel run and to see more churches start and to see more churches strengthen. He had places he wanted to go and people he wanted to encourage and, 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 and preaching that he wanted to do. He'd served God faithfully through many trials and difficulties already in his life and ministry up to this point, and he had done so without complaint. And it, it endured imprisonments and stonings and beatings and shipwrecks and hunger and poverty and critics and all kinds of things that are cataloged in his writings. Didn't he deserve a break? Some time off. The, the opportunity to just kind of take it easy and relax. A nice little Mediterranean vacation by the sea and nobody to bother him and he could just sit and read and free pass to kind of complain and vent. And... But here, he's chained up in this cold, smelly, dark Roman prison and he says, as the Spirit fills you, one of the ways it's going to be manifest, and one of the ways it's manifest in my own life, is giving thanks always for all things. Always for all things. Now maybe you're a little skeptical about this. I mean, how does that actually work? How is this, how is this actually possible? Always in everything. You're telling me I'm supposed to give thanks for tragedies, for costly wars, I mean, lives are lost, for diseases, for mass shootings, for natural disasters. What if my loved ones died of COVID? What if my, I lost my son to cancer? What if, what if my spouse was paralyzed in a car accident? Or am I supposed to give thanks for my husband's adultery? for getting fired from my job, for domestic abuse, for our house burning to the ground. I mean, is that what, is that what this is saying? We give thanks for those things. Doesn't, doesn't God hate sin? 
Doesn't, doesn't God care about suffering? Isn't grieving and righteous anger a more appropriate response than thankfulness in those situations? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let someone else sort of answer that question and I think in a very helpful way. John Stott says to this point and to these wrestlings that we have, he says, he gives us the caution here and he's not trying to mute the text and that'll be, so don't stop with the first sentence that I read and your thoughts. Let, listen to the thought as he works this out. But he says, we must not press these words too literally for we cannot thank God for absolutely everything including blatant evil. The strange notion notion is gaining popularity in some Christian circles that the major secret of Christian freedom and victory is, quote, unconditional praise, that a husband should praise God for his wife's adultery and a wife for her husband's drunkenness, and that even the most appalling calamities of life should become subjects for thanksgiving and praise. Such a suggestion is at best a dangerous half-truth and at worst, ludicrous, even blasphemous. And he, listen, of course God's children learn not to argue with Him, but to trust Him, and indeed to thank Him for His loving providence by which He can turn even evil for good purposes. That's the turn. But that is praising God for being God. It's not praising Him for evil. To do this would be to react insensitively to people's pain when Scripture tells us to weep with those who weep and to condone and even encourage evil when Scripture tells us to hate it and to resist the devil. You see that? It's very helpful. And so so while we shouldn't thank God for evil deeds and for tragedies, we can, we can thank Him in the midst of trials and in the midst of these hardships, for who He is and for all that He's promised. That's what we're talking about here. And so this isn't giving thanks through you know, gritted teeth and just kind of bearing up under and by sheer force of will, I'm going to, uh, you know, when things are hard and we're dis- disappointed, I'm going to say thank you. That's again, kind of thinking of the child of the socks. And I'm just going to grip my teeth and say thank you. That's not it. What do we do? We give, we give thanks together. This is the way that I think very New Testament way to say it. we do it in faith. We do it in faith. We cling in faith to God's promises that, that He's going to use everything, including difficulties, including disappointments. He's going to use it all for our good to make us more like Christ, Romans 8. And we, and we, and we cling in faith to the assurance that even in the midst of real difficulties, Real chronic struggles, as Paul was talking about. Not Paul the Apostle, but Paul Bell. Uh, But in the midst of those things, we are securely enveloped within God's love for us in Christ. We are kept. And so we're fueled. We're fueled by the Spirit's fullness in us. We're in faith. We're to give thanks always in everything. Is this characterize your life just characterize our church is grateful overflowing gratitude how we describe our lord's day gatherings even our small group meetings our elder meetings we have one this afternoon our conversations with one another in the fellowship hall so this is what i mean a grateful church it has this open floor plan 
thankfulness spills over into all aspects of our life together. We don't have certain sections that are cordoned off where grumbling is permitted and allowed, and and we we just give ourselves a free pass. No, it's always and in everything. Are there rooms in your life that you're keeping shut off from thanksgiving? Are there rooms in our church where where we permit and we've learned to live with with complaining and ingratitude? All right, fourth, move ahead. A grateful church is deliberately Godward. Deliberately Godward. Now, one of the things that stands out in this passage uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 is how overtly and blatantly Trinitarian it is. And so you see, just even in, in verse 20, we are called, or verses 18 to 20, I guess, we're called to be filled with the third person of the Trinity to give to give thanks to the first person of the Trinity, and this all happens on the basis of the second person of the Trinity. And so we're filled with the Spirit, giving thanks to the Father through Jesus Christ. And so a grateful church, a grateful life, isn't just generally or generically thankful, but is very consciously and very personally grateful to God. There's this Godwardness in the gratitude. In particular, we, we must deliberately focus, the text says here, on God the Father, especially in times of trial. There's a great illustration of this. There's a lot of illustrations of this in Scripture. But I, I, Psalm, uh, many of the Psalms, uh, written by David in particular, those Psalms that he's written while he's suffering and while he's being chased in the wilderness. Psalm 57, for example, he wrote it from this cold, dark cave while he's fleeing from Saul who's trying to kill him. And so if I were holed up in the cave with this lunatic uh, madman king that's running out there and he's got a full arm and he's trying to hunt me down and he's trying to, trying to kill me, I, my psalm probably would have sounded a little bit differently. Um, but David, he wrote this song and, and he wrote this song. He talks about God being exalted in the heavens. His glory is over all of the earth. And so he's extolling God. He's looking to the Lord in the midst of that very desperate situation. That's all, those aren't trite words. He's not just some canned cliches that he's memorized and he's saying those things. These are the true expressions of his heart. Lord, you're exalted. You're over all. And then he says in the middle of that psalm, verse 7, he says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. And then he says, I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. So what stands out is just how, how deliberate he is with his words here. I think it's almost like David, he's saying, my heart is steadfast, O God. And then as soon as the words roll off his lips, he begins to waver. So then he, he says, no, my heart is steadfast. And, and, then, and then he declares, I will sing. But then maybe he thinks, Singing's a really dumb thing to do when you're sitting in a cave and someone's chasing you and trying to kill you. That doesn't make any sense. And 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 then, but then he would deliberately repeat, "Yes, though I will sing praises." There's this this intensity and this intentionality about gazing at the Lord. This Godwardness to this, and so we won't thank God always and for everything without this kind of deliberate looking to the Lord together. Church, we're looking to Him. We're gazing at Him. We're focusing upon Him. Always, in all things, we need to constantly have this distinctly Godward focus if we're going to see gratitude cultivated and grown and flourish in our life together as a church. 
no matter what we walk through? What specifically can we focus on as we, as we direct our gaze at God the Father and direct our thanks to Him? Just a few things. One, focus on the fact that the Father, and I'm going to borrow some words from uh, Eric Dial here, and I've, this phrase has really stuck with me. As, as he's, this is how he's described the Lord and one of the things that stood out to him. But focus on the fact that the Father is lovingly sovereign. He's lovingly sovereign. And so the all things there in verse 20 of Ephesians 5, it's the same all things. We don't have time to go back and look through the whole letter of Ephesians, but you go back to Ephesians chapter 111 where, God, where it says that God predestined us according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. It's the same all things that you read later in verse 22 of chapter 1 which tells us that God put all things under His feet, under Christ's feet, gave Him His head over all things to the church. It's the same all things of Romans 8.28 that many of us know well. We know that for those who love God, that, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And so one main source of comfort in any trial, big or small, is that our, our Father in heaven is lovingly sovereign over all. He is, he is in control. Everything in our lives, everything we face together as a church, Everything that comes to us from the culture. He is sovereign over all. We've seen this in Esther very clearly. Now that it doesn't solve, let me just say, it doesn't solve, and we think this might help, but it doesn't. It doesn't solve the problem of pain and suffering and hardship and heartache in our lives by taking God out of the equation. We think if we could, we could, we're trying to get him off the hook, we're trying to do our best, and we, say, we can't explain it. God's got to be in it. It's just got to be explained by circumstances or by just people and, and, the, and the will of people. But if there's no sovereign God of love, then all we have is this brutal, hopeless, aimless world where the ruthless and the powerful people, they have this unbridled freedom to work their wickedness, oppress the weak. Suffering becomes meaningless. There's no hope of future judgment for evildoers, if that's the case. It's just this dog-eat-dog world. Some have it worse than others, so you just kind of got to suck it up and get over it. That's, that doesn't help to take God out of the equation. That doesn't offer much hope. So focus on the fact that the Father is lovingly sovereign. Second, focus on the fact that the Father's love. Paul says we're to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ, we now have God as our Father. He is our Father because God is, is our compassionate and loving and gracious and long-suffering Father. We can be confident that He's never going to treat us in some kind of cold or capricious way. No. Even the trials He allows, He sovereignly allows, are only and always for our eternal good. And he will, in, he will help us to endure. I know earthly dads, we, we understand this. We, we see things from a different perspective than our children do, don't we? I mean, children can see things they thinking here and now, particularly young children. So you go to Six Flags or something like that, and you know, I want a funnel cake, and I want a snow cone, and I want an ice cream cone, and I want to drink, flush it all down with some Mountain Dew, and, and then let's go ride the carousel. And your, your dads think, that's not a good idea, so we're not going to do that. Um, but, but children often lack discernment, and so they don't think of the potentially dangerous consequences of their actions. And so without the guidance and the loving re restraint of a parent, 
they, they, they would probably destroy themselves uh, pretty quickly. But a loving father sees this long-range perspective, sees what's really good for his children. And so there's times when you need to study and just not play. And there's, you know, we need to eat good, nutritious food, get proper rest and exercise. That's good long-term. That's really important. So uh, even though those things may not be pleasant in the moment for you and you may not find them particularly enjoyable and pleasurable and they may not feel like that's the best thing to be doing right now, uh, a father knows best what's, what's best for you in the long run. And again, we, we don't always, but we're, we're fallible fathers. But in an infinitely greater way, our Heavenly Father has this long-range perspective for eternity. And, and we, we can't see beyond the present. We can make reasonable guesses about things that are coming, but we, we are, our perspective is very flawed and short-sighted. But God, He doesn't always show us why He does what He does, but He asks us to trust Him as our loving Father. A loving Father, even when we can't understand His reasons for the things that we're walking through. And that's how we can give thanks. We focus on the fact that He's lovingly sovereign, as we have this deliberate governance, we focus on the fact that he, he loves us as our Father. And then th- third, I would just say we focus on the fact that we are unbelievably blessed, especially with the gift of salvation. I have to be quick here, but just the fact that God can be our Father and that Jesus can be called our Lord, it brings into focus the salvation that He's so graciously given to us. That we were singing about earlier. And so just, again, First John 3, 1, see what love the Father has bestowed upon us, given to us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. Formerly we were dead in our sins, is what Ephesians tells us. We were under the devil's rule. We were children of, of wrath, prepared for destruction. But God poured out His rich mercy and love upon us. Formerly, we were separated from Christ, Ephesians 2, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, we who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I mean, you read Romans 8, and it begins with there's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus, and it ends with absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ. If, if we're constantly drinking that in together as a church body and you as an individual believer, if this is, if this is a, a stream that's, that's, that's bringing this fresh gospel water into us, oh, then we're going to be consistently filled with thankfulness, even in the midst of real difficulties, real hardships. Ah, i got to skip that. All right. Um, so... There's, there's got to be this distinct Godwardness in our lives. In our, in our, and I would just, maybe one thing, just say, the more we apprehend God's grace to us in Christ, the more that will correlate to more sincere and expressive gratitude. And this is why, as we are, as we are deliberately Godward, that we need to fact, focus on the fact of how blessed we are in Christ, in this, in particular the gift of salvation that we enjoy. So we want to, if we want gratitude, not grumbling, to be cultivated in our church, we, we have to be, have this Godward focus. And lastly, fifth, a grateful church is only possible through Jesus Christ. It's only possible through Jesus Christ. All of God's blessings come to us through Jesus Christ. Ephesians makes this very clear. Again, if we could go back to chapter 1 and linger there, read through those passages, we'd see this, that 
God chose us in Christ. He predestined us and adopted us through Christ. He, in, it's in Christ that we have redemption through His blood. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. We've obtained an inheritance in Christ. And it's in Christ that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's all in Him. It's all in Christ. And so in our text, when we read, we give thanks uh, always and for everything to the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's referring to all that Jesus is and all that He's done. It's, 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 it's taking in that full context of Ephesians in particular. People, people without Christ, they can be very nice and pleasant and polite people and can say thank you and 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 be generally happy and we would say thankful people and you can do that that's the common grace of god and we know people that have have uh, have not been redeemed by the lord and we pray for them but but they're they're pleasant people they're happy people but the kind of gratitude to god that will endure through trials and will go on for all eternity is only possible through jesus christ it's only possible through christ I back up to where we began, and if I could just read that little juicy nugget again from G.K. Chesterton, and I hope that it has an even fuller meaning as we conclude. But he says, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought, and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Does happiness doubled by wonder characterize your life? Does it characterize my life, our church? Is that what's growing and being cultivated in us? Or are there weeds of thankfulness and grumbling and complaining that are spreading in us and sort of choking out gratitude? All of us, listen, if you've stayed with me this long, I think, and, and you've been, been with me, all of us, I think, feel our failures here, don't we? I mean, we, uh, we, we can confess that we are not always grateful people. And sometimes we're blatantly ungrateful and we're grumblers. And so if by now you're somewhat discouraged by your ingratitude and, and, and grumbling, maybe just feeling this load of guilt and shame, that's not the aim of this morning. But I would encourage you to remember, remember the gospel. This is where we come back every week. Through your obedience, I mean, I say, though your obedience to God's word in this area is very, very much imperfect and it's polluted and it is, it's just, it's not enough. Christ's obedience in this area is perfect and complete. And God has not only forgiven you of your ingratitude and your complaining, but he's also, if you have trusted in Christ, he's also credited to you the spotless obedience and perfect thankfulness of Christ. And that's how he treats you. Praise, what, what mercy, right? And so God, God does want to work in us and he does want to deal with that ingratitude and that grumbling in us. So it's not saying like that doesn't really matter then. No, not at all. But he does so again as our loving father now, not as our judge. And so it's as a loving father he he wants to root those things out because it's not good for us and it's not it's not good for others and it doesn't bring 
him the glory that he so deserves. So let, let's pray. Lord, thank you for, thank you for um, these blessings that we know as your children, Lord, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And we could spend all day, we could spend, we will spend all eternity enumerating those blessings, Lord, and giving you thanks. We are just, this is just a warm up for heaven. Any gratitude we express to you now is, is just getting, getting started for what's going to be for eternity, Lord. But I, I pray, I pray that you would help us as a church to be growing in gratitude that this, that, that, that the grumbling and the, and the complaining and the thanklessness that so often characterizes our thoughts and our words and, and, and our hearts, Lord, that it would, it would diminish, Lord. And by the work of your Spirit in us, and as your Spirit controls us, and as we direct our thoughts more to you, and as the partitions of our life are broken down, and as we, as we see our, everything has to come through Jesus Christ, that, that this gratitude would be cultivated more in us as your children individually and as a body together, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.